Arts and Culture Summits the Airwaves, this is the Nine Rails Arts Podcast. I'm our Brandon Long alongside Todd Obendorfer, and we are the Banning Collective, arts and adventure podcasting since 2010. This episode includes an interview with Weber Arts Council Playwright in Residency Program members. This episode is supported by the Union Creative Agency. Union Creative Agency is a stakeholder-centered design agency focused on infusing creativity, culture, and strategy into communities and organizations. Union Creative Agency works collaboratively with clients, community partners, and stakeholders to understand needs, envision an ideal future, and build a pathway to success. We believe arts and culture are keys to catalyzing better communities, organizations, projects, and endeavors. With successful collaboration as our key driver, we work intimately with our clients, partnering organizations, and stakeholders to create projects designed for impact. Union Creative Agency has a local influence. Yes, they were responsible for the Ogden City Master Plan for the Arts and Culture, as well as the Master Plan for the Nine Rails Creative District. For more information about Union Creative Agency, reach out to unioncreativeagency.com. He's bound to die. A little proper way bringing us back here to the Nine Rails Arts Podcast. Thank you so much, the proper way. Uh, Todd, you, uh, you're you involved with the Weber Arts Council in some ways, aren't you? Yeah, so I had some extra time. <laughs> okay. And I was yeah. approached by uh, both Diane Stern and Catherine McKay, two of my very good friends, uh, to uh, get a new seat on the Weber Arts Council. And so the very first project, now this is, we're going to learn more about this in this particular episode, um, but essentially this is a group that's been around, and so this is kind of a reboot. Uh, I think that's a word that we can all recognize. And so the first project within the reboot is the playwright artist playwright in residency program. And this I'll probably stumble over that a few times. So they brought in a playwright to Ogden. Yes, from New York. From New York, who who stayed here for a week or so, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, came out with a play that he was working on, and then essentially fleshed it out uh, with actors and they did an initial reading and then he worked on it for for some time and then they did a final reading at the black box theater at ogden high and the results were fantastic really very very cool project very cool a playwright is daniel ratner you can hear more from the whole group here in this interview welcome to new episode of the nine rails arts podcast we are meeting at the argo house uh, we've recorded here before we are out in the the think tank Nice little view. It is a little bit better sound. It's still a little bit tinny, but it's not too bad. Oh, it sounds good. Okay, I think that we all sound good. Uh, today's going to be a theater day. And so we're going to get to know the uh, Weber County Arts Council, or the Weber Arts Council. What's the name are we putting on it? Weber, Weber Arts. Or Weber Arts? I like Weber Arts. Yeah. So from now on, I'll just say Weber Arts. Uh, and then the pilot project for Weber Arts, which is 
the Playwright Residency Program, which we're going to learn all about in just a minute. So I think first things first, uh, everybody knows me, so this is Todd Oberndorfer. We're going to run around the circle, uh, just a quick little intro. The idea with this, too, is that I learn a thing or two about you as well. And so where you're from, what you're working on, and we're going to focus a little bit on this Playwright Residency Program in particular, uh, in addition to getting to know Weber Arts just a little bit. So let's start with you, Daniel. Great. Um, I'm Daniel. I'm from New York City. Um, and I'm the playwright in the Wasatch Playwrights Residency. Excellent. Diane? Uh, Diane Stern, and I'm with Weber Arts. Catherine? Hi, I'm Catherine, and I'm with Weber Arts. And Cole? Hey, uh, I'm Cole Stern, and I am the program director of the Wasatch Playwrights Residency. Excellent. Well, that seems like a good place to start right there. Um, so let's probably take it back just a half a step. We're going to start with Weber Arts. Uh, this is a group that I am currently involved with in this capacity. Um, I'm on the board, but uh, in an area that I hope I can provide just a little bit is telling some of the stories uh, from Weber Arts. And so I'd really like to start with Diane and Catherine on this one about where it started. We're going to do this little nutshell because we'll probably could do an entire episode on just the history of Weber Arts, kind of where it started, where it went, uh, it's come back again and what its sort of basic goals are. Great. I'm going to take the lead on this. Absolutely. Um, a few years ago, a group of friends got together. We were all connected in some way with the arts and uh, decided that there needed to be promotion, some coordination, some sharing of ideas. So we came together and decided that we would try to put together some kind of an organization. One person who was with us was Diane Stern, and she stepped out ahead and got the uh, nascent organization into serious, um, a serious organization, something that would really do the work. And it became the Weber Arts Council, connected with the Utah Division of Arts and uh, Culture, Arts and Her Heritage, uh, really serving as a, a support, as, a, as an encourager, as a way to support um, emerging artists, new arts groups, and um, Diane, you might take it from here. Well, you know, the thing is that originally when we formed the Arts Council, we were able to access funding for artist projects for artists who did not have a 501c3 or a nonprofit status. And that was really important at the time. It still is important. Um, there have been some political changes, and so we had sort of a fallow period, two years. But now this is the pilot project for the new incarnation of the Weber Arts Council. And I just want to say one quick comment about this. I think that there really was some important work done by the Weber Arts Council in terms of helping emerging artists with grants and supporting organizations and a real strong commitment to be a county-wide arts organization. Out of this came uh, the Arts Summit effort, which was trying to list arts events, etc. And as Diane said, then we uh, moved back as the county commission created their own arts council. But I'm excited that we are emerging again as Weber Arts and that we've taken on a new project, but it's still about, it's still about support for new artists, mm -hmm. new organizations, and it's still about trying to um, be part of this wonderful, thriving community in Ogden, Weber County of arts and arts expressions. 
And so just following up with that, one of the things that happened was that Cole had brought this idea of having been in New York for a couple of years. Uh, Recognize you that know, similar I last name. Actually, gave birth to him. That's yeah. okay. So, <laughs> it just was, address that once. It was <laughs> troubling. Uh, so, <laughs> but I'm but so the thing is, he, he had been he had been in New York for a couple of years, and he brought the idea of why couldn't we bring a program to Ogden where it was actually affordable to put together a program uh, with an emerging artist and rent the space and have the theater, and we have good theaters here, and have the people to support it. And so I totally credit him with that. Yeah, the people to support it was actually a big thing, was that I was born and raised in Ogden. Um, and I, I, you know, I went to OHS, I went to Mount Ogden Junior High, and it struck me that our community is invested in arts. Uh, uh, I think that how much people love dance in Utah, for some reason, Salt Lake City has, you know, three world-class dance organizations, um, it, and how much people love the theater. People love to put on theater shows, community theater shows, or more professional works, but no matter what, there's a big groundswell. And I wanted to see if I could connect people who were in the very, you gotta hustle to make it vibe of New York, these these artists who had nothing and it was very much, oh, well, I guess I, I, th I must, I, I publish or die, or, and connect them with this um, very strong community that I think is very inviting and also, a wonderful place to realize artistic projects because it is broad-based support and there's not as much focus on the hustle, so to speak, mm -hmm. which is, I think, a very rejuvenating experience. Um, well, we yeah. certainly appreciate you kind of getting things started there. Now, where did this, this idea, when, when was this first conversation that you oh, had with Diane? Gosh. First com conversation was actually last summer. Yeah. And, and at that was... point, we didn't have a board. We didn't have an active organization. We had to get our business license up to speed. We had to get our 501c3 reinstated, well, reinstated. And then when Cole came back at Christmas, yeah, I think he maybe. put it. He put it together as an actual proposition. Could we bring something here? We took it to the board, and the board said. And actually, you weren't even there then. No, I'm, once uh, it already got started. Yeah. yeah, said, yeah, we can do this as a pilot project. We had money left over from when we were active before, and we worked out the budget. And I'm ashamed to say what that budget was because it wouldn't buy you, you know, two days in New York. But um, it is a little bit more cost effective going this direction. I but, imagine for it, yeah. but the other the other idea was to bring somebody in who was not from here. There's two sides of this to bring them in to show them this is Utah and it's pretty great and it's affordable and you get your work done and then let them take Ogden with them out into the world. And also have a chance for them to interact with artists here and have artists here interact with them so that we start to create a more sort of a bigger spider web of connections across across the U.S. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. But I have to say, you know, a year out is better than the the few months that we put this together in. <laughs> and let's be honest, it, this came together very, very quickly. It came together. Yeah. This project could have been, uh, you know, I mean, not that it needed it. I think it's all come together extremely well, but meaning that you... You, you put this together very quickly. Yeah. Um, and sweated bullets we, doing it. Yeah. We, we didn't really know that it was 100% going to happen, that the board would approve it and everything would happen until March-ish, late February, early March. I'm thinking of the fact that you got the cast together the week before Daniel came out. Oh, please don't talk about that. <laughs> We, we, we had this problem where, so we got it together. We were like, oh, this will happen by then. But then we needed to create a selection committee. We needed to give enough time to accept applications. Then we needed to pick somebody. Mm. And then only when we picked a playwright, who was Daniel this year, could we be like, oh, well, here's a director who would be good for that. And only when we picked a director could we say, oh, here is a good set of actors <laughs> to work with. And so this, this seems like a good, uh, before we get too far into uh, yeah. to Daniel's position, as far as the parameters of the program and how it developed sort of naturally on the fly and like initially this is what this residency is going to consist of. Oh, just run through the... Yes, I mean, sure. pre-Daniel. Yeah. So pre-Daniel, pre-Daniel, the... <laughs> I don't Sorry, can you Dan. even imagine a time. <laughs> a time of impossible. Um, so pre-Daniel, the idea, as I said, was to sort of connect uh, New York artists and Utah artists. And I, uh, I need to really, to thank a, a couple people, uh, uh, Philip Himberg and Christopher Hibma, who are the respective heads of the McDowell colony, the McDowell colony. It's a it's an Irish pronunciation that I'm terrible at, um, which is an artist's colony in upstate New York and uh, the Sundance Theater Festival, both of whom uh, sat down and talked with me and said it. If you're going to do a program, you need to decide what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I realized what we were looking for, our community in a program, was not, was not the traditional sort of writer's retreat where you go and you write and you write and you write and then eventually you go home. Um, what we were interested in was a process of being able to hear something on its feet, to have actors and directors here have a chance to interact with that work directly and a chance to put up not a fully staged production but to have a product at the end of it that was more than just the number of pages that the writer had written or that the writer had edited so, so and i and I'll, i'm just going to add that one of the benefits here is to hear the script originally and then have a little bit of time where the work is being done and then to see the progress. Yeah, and I really, I do need to thank, as far as how we scheduled writing days and rehearsal days, I really, really need to thank Hibma because he just, he he sort of ran me through, okay, if you have, the it is very hard for writers to hear something one day in rehearsal and then be like, okay, write something new tonight and we'll put it up on the morning. That'll be good. <laughs> um, and so the, the idea formulated that we would have two weeks, 
that 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 was a good length. That was a time that people tended to be able to be able to get off work or that fit into a holiday or something like that. So oh, it's a if good you, enough time, I think, to really absorb a little bit of the culture here. Exactly. Yeah. And we didn't we really didn't want it to be rushed. Like, come here, see a Raptors game, see the Union Station, get the hell out. Uh, you know, we didn't want that. And so we we created this two week program. It starts with a reading of the script as it arrives to us. And then that first week, there was just, I think, one rehearsal, one true rehearsal um, to hear a few more things. And then there's a long weekend Mm -hmm. where the writer, in theory, has the ability to, you know, for four days, really rework the script based on what they're hearing and specifically hearing even if a script has been performed before, as this one was in a university setting, to hear it in other people's mouths who weren't there as the thing was being written. Um, Then there is a workshop, a public workshop taught by the writer so that the community has a chance to get some of that writer's knowledge and some of their specific specialty. And then at the end of the two weeks, there is a final semi-staged reading where um, where it is performed. So, good pitch. When you first heard it, Catherine, what were your thoughts? I was very excited about it because, again, it is possible to do something like this in this place because of this strong theater community. I mean, it really was possible for Cole to put out a call and find actors within a very short period of time. That, that was possible. The other thing that was exciting was that it was very much in the spirit of what we hoped the Weber Arts Council was going to be in the first place. Supportive of artists, um, bringing together what expertise that we could find uh, to help that process, to bring both people who are in the arts, but also people who love the arts together. And I was very, very excited about this um, renaissance or this renewal of this particular organization. And, you know, one of the many gifts that we were given is that we had a review panel that was um, Jed Broberg who from, the, uh, from Ogden High. Jenny Kokai from the university and Jerry Rapier, they reviewed all of the applicants for the- How many applicants did you get? Six. Six, six, that's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah. and I should note we heavily limited who could apply. Yeah, But, but because it was high school, college, and professional theater, I felt like this really did speak to the community, not just to say, uh, who's the next big guy, which of course is you. And so Cole, when you were taking those original applications, you said you did limit it down and focus. Yeah. Where, um, where, did, where did Daniel need to be? So where Daniel needed to be, um, so I talked with the MFA playwriting program at Columbia, um, which for my money is right now the best, uh, uh, the best play- playwriting MFA in the US. It's a wonderful program. Um, with Lynn Nottage um, and David Henry Wong heading it up. 
And, and we should say that he was here for the 150th. Yeah, this was the weirdest thing. I Yeah, I talked Lucky. to... <laughs> I know. It was the weirdest thing. I sent, because I sent, I sent David an email like, oh, I'm doing this program um, that we're wanting to ask specifically Columbia students for. It's in Utah. I know you probably don't know much. He goes, oh, I was there last week. Uh, I met Jerry Rapier. We had a great time. <laughs> um, that's when you're like, of course. Of yeah. Course that's happened too. It, it felt just slightly faded. Um, <laughs> and so we... We decided that only that we were interested in current uh, MFA students from the mm-hmm. Columbia Playwriting Program, and that why, was. Why do you think that was so important? So I thought that was important for a couple reasons. For one, uh, I they are in New York. This is like the I'm going to go from broadest down to most specific. Sure. The big broad thing is they're in New York, where resources are so extremely scarce. Um, It is a tremendous lightning rod for talent. We have people in the playwriting program from all over the world. Uh, But these are people who, unless they come from exceptional wealth, are not able to get rehearsal space. And Which is what you mean by resources being scarce. Yeah, yeah, being, being rehearsal space and rehearsal time and also just, and also, as I say, this sort of just general community groundswell. It's hard to get that to happen in, in New York just because it is so busy and so cramped. More specifically, I liked the Columbia program because it is remarkable the production that that these playwrights do they turn out hundreds of pages uh every semester just pounding away and daniel's in a tear a tear of pride yeah well i think you um, know and well if i could just though they tr- they turn out these hundreds of pages they then I know ruthlessly edit themselves which is a very hard process and they go and because of how the Columbia program is structured they learn how to put themselves up and that was critical is that if we had a playwright coming out who was going to have these resources who was going to have those two weeks I wanted to have some assurance of quality but mainly an assurance that these were people who knew how to produce their work in a certain amount of time in a certain amount yeah in a tight amount of time and who were able to work with new directors and new actors who they might not have encountered before and i felt that the columbia program was like the golden sort of the goldilocks zone for that that just checks off every box that i can imagine and so that got narrowed down to about six and then those six were submitted to the board and this was before I jumped on, did yeah. you? So it was a review panel, and it was important that we had a review panel that was independent of the board. Okay. It had to be, and as I said, it was compiled from high school, university, and professional theater. And I also want to stress independent of me, because I, of course, also uh, went to Columbia. I'm still going to Columbia, and I We're hoping he's going to graduate someday. <laughs> it wouldn't, yeah. So also, I should note, independent with me. Yeah, no, good point. Uh, Yeah, but the other thing is, and this was sort of um, almost incidental because the, the group that reviewed all of the applications felt that this play was strong 
both because of the immersive qualities that you had originally put together. Um, they also felt that the place where it could advance was through script and character development. And so that was a, something that they put on you. But the subject matter is so incredibly current in the US, but also in Utah in particular, of addiction and uh, recovery. So. So that is a perfect transition into the winning choice, of course, which is Daniel Ratner right in front of us. And so tell us a little, little bit about your original idea, mm -hmm. uh, where it started. Uh, was it part of your program? Was it outside of that? So the play started as um, what we call our second year project. So in the second year of the MFA, uh, the playwriting students get the opportunity to put up a full length production, which is sort of like a warm up for your thesis. And it started... The idea of it um, basically came from um, knowing people who struggled with addiction, who had gone to rehab, um, and being not only curious about their experience and wanting to know what it was like to get treatment, um, but also a sort of personal feeling of uh, frustration for anybody who knows someone who's an addict of just, you know, why can't you get better? Why can't you just, you know, why can't the doctors help you? Why does it um, not only take so much work, but it involves so much um, progress and relapse and progress and relapse. Uh, and that also felt a bit to me like uh, how we uh, feel as a society in this current moment, whatever sort of side of the political aisle you're on, there's definitely a feeling of taking one step back and then one step forward and then two steps back. Um, so those are the sort of things that I wanted to, to write about when I set out to, to do the project uh, last, last December was when we started. So this sort of began in December. Yeah, I think I started working on, we did our first couple of workshops um, without a script uh, in October, November. I knew I was sort of interested in finding a play that used the model of um, addiction treatment um, to sort of put people in groups and talk. Um, I knew I was interested in immersive quality and I didn't really have the story yet, but I wanted to do a few workshops just to see if it was possible to put strangers in a room and give them some characters and have them have a conversation, which we found it was. And then the script sort of started in earnest in December and I built characters around the, the conversations we had. And then we went into rehearsals uh, early February and we had the production the first weekend of March. And then how, how did you feel about your script when you, at that point when you submitted it for this residency? Well, so much of the work we had done in uh, rehearsals and for the production last uh, winter, spring, had been around figuring out how to do the immersive bits. So the way the play works is it's set in a rehab center, and uh, when the audience comes in, it's a group of about 15 or 16. They're sorted as either patients or volunteer staff members, and they go through and the they're treatment. they're chosen as they come in? They're chosen. You essentially get sorted as you come in. You do like a little, a little intake form about what you might want to work on, and it doesn't have to be an addiction. It can be, you know, I want to stop, you know, stop uh, biting my nails. I want to sleep better. I want to be less anxious, whatever you feel like is your personal goal. Um, and then you get sorted as a patient or a staff member, and then you go through the play with the characters sort of sitting in all of their treatment scenes with them, and you're given the opportunity to share and to um, talk about your own experience as you're watching the story play out about the the patients and the staff in the clinic itself. Well, I think it's an incredibly clever idea uh, for a performance just straight out, uh, and then what you actually delve into, you know, being something different. All right, so we've, we've sort of made it up to the point. At this point, you, you, you've now flown out here. We've met a few yes. times. Uh, and we're kind of at a good place to talk about this because 
you're sort of wrapping things up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the final work is done on, well, two days from now, this will probably be released, you know, a little <laughs> bit further hours. down the line. Yeah. And it, and it was brilliant. You know, there was a, a massive turnout, Diane. So, you know, <laughs> uh, because we're, uh, this is after the fact. Yeah, exactly. So you can relax about that as well. Um, there was a lot of people there that needed to be there. Let's just say it was the right people that were there. I feel that strongly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so kind of take us through these last couple of weeks. For the residency. Yeah, it's been an amazing couple of weeks. I have to say, this is it's certainly unlike any experience that I've had. And I think um, unlike any experience that most playwrights, certainly early career playwrights like myself get to have, um, just the, the time to write, um, the resources, the actors, the director, uh, Cole and his family being such wonderful hosts. Um, I, you know, I think uh, as Cole was saying, it's so much of living in New York is not only about hustling to get noticed as an artist, but also hustling just to make rent each month, um, finding places to work. So to sort of be able to, we're talking in the room that I've been doing most of the writing in, and so just be able to sit here and like look out at the mountains when I'm stuck. Um, it sounds kind of corny to say, but it really does open up the way that you think. Um, I found it much easier just to drop in to my writing and be focused and not have sort of so much noise around me, um, so many outside pressures. So it's, it's, I felt it's been a really good opportunity for me to dive into writing, um, to dive into the story and the characters, as Diane was saying. Um, so I mostly did a bunch of rewrites last week, and then the last few days we've just been putting it on its feet and watching the actors um, bring it to life, which they're doing. Cole, I think it's a, it's a good time. Maybe you could talk about your director selection, the actors that you chose. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I do want to give a big shout out to uh, our director, Pedro Flores, who has just been phenomenal throughout this whole process. And how did that relationship develop? So that, it was interesting. I reached out to, so Jenny Kokai was on the board that selected Daniel. From Weber State, from Weber State University. Who we love. Who we I was, love. I did a, a panel discussion with her, I think, last year, which she's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> no, I, Jenny has been just so great throughout this whole process. And I reached out to her and just asked, you know, who are, who are some students who you think have good instincts about theater and who are starting a directing path, you know? Okay, so keep that thought. Good instincts about theater. What, is it, what does that mean? Oh, gosh. So here's, here's my little back. Okay, a little backstory for me. So we're, and I'll, I'll ask Brandon what his, if he, he has a little bit more theater background, maybe. Maybe it's more of just on acting side. So uh, theater was important to me in my last couple of years of high school, but more on a social sort of setting. Uh, I was involved with uh, some of the set design. I would design posters, that type of thing. But that group became very important to me. I think that was my very first trip. I was living in Kansas City. My very first trip to New York was a field trip with theater students and my theater teacher, which essentially just meant a week or two in New York, basically unsupervised group of kids. We saw a bunch of plays and musicals. We all made it back alive. I think it was the last of those trips. But uh, but so I think that the only time I ever spent on the stage was ensemble pieces where they couldn't ever hear me specifically. Right? <laughs> I think just collectively, but that was about it. And so when it comes to like these instincts, this is where I get to learn a little bit. Oh, sure. I mean, it's hard... Because there's so many different sort of styles of theater, it's hard to define instincts. But one thing I would say is someone who is at home in their decisions, you know, who makes a decision and understands why they did it and also is willing to admit when that decision didn't work. It's 
uh, I think theater instincts, um, Anne Bogart, who's the, the head of the directing program at Columbia, talks a lot about uh, Johaku, which is uh, this Japanese concept of being, of, of waiting until a move is right, until the feeling in the room is correct to make the next step. And that is sort of, that, there is an instinctual thing which I don't know how to describe. It's knowing, okay, that scene's over. We need to go to the next scene. Or, okay, that character, we, we're not supposed to like them, but right now we're hating them and that's the move too far. It's really hard for me to describe. It's about knowing when is the right time to move to the next scene, when is the right time for the character to start talking or to start talking, and how to get into a rhythm with a show. Um, you know, you can have, you certainly can have very, very long rhythms. Um, you can have very tight, quick rhythms, you know, think Evil Van Hova for the first one, you know, the, let me see how long in Danish I can make this show. Um, and, you know, uh, the late great Hal Prince for the second one, you know, how tight can I make it? How staccato can I make it? Both of those are examples of instincts, but it's, being able to feel the rhythm of a show and being at home in your decisions about that show once they are made. Because there's obviously, I'm sorry, go ahead, Diane. Well, I was just going to say, I think part of it is um, instincts in, in theater and in dance is a willingness to surrender so that you give up, you go into what the process is, what the script is, what the movement is, but you're willing to let go of uh, your personality, per se, I mean, it's always going to be there, but you move into that other place that it's part of that um, different piece of, of uh, work. Yeah, that is a good way thing to say that another thing that I was looking for, especially in so tight a process, and especially with people who may not have ever met or worked with each other before, was um, are you capable of serving the production first. You know, we, there are many great directors, um, and arguably both the ones I talked about are directors like these, who serve their styles first, and that just wouldn't work mm -hmm. um, in this particular process. We had to find someone who was, who could let go of their ego a little bit, and also could on occasions let go of some of, you know, some of their thoughts, some of their more specific thoughts and go with what the show was becoming in that brief time with these specific people. And Pedro, I think, is really a wonderful director in that he has a style and he is masterful at talking with actors. He, he really he understands how much he needs to give and then how much he needs to let them give to get them to the place that they need, that the show needs to be. Am I doing, am I doing him justice? Am I saying about right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's really wonderful with the actors, which is also something we didn't have as much time to focus on in the production last spring. Cause as I said, we spent so much just figuring out the logistics of the immersive. How does the audience move through the space? How do we give them their instructions? How do we make them comfortable? How do we get them to share? And so the acting and the character stuff, um, we had fantastic actors, but it, it wasn't the primary focus of that production. And so to be able to, to dive into that with someone who's so attuned um, 
to those concerns and, and so equipped to talk to actors has been really great. And so where this particular program is focused on the playwright, right? Most of the decisions from the director to the actors, everything is really to heighten uh, the playwriter, uh, this particular script, the final results. Is it, is it all of it? It seems to me it's almost a uh, residency for the entire group to some degree, from Pedro to the actors to you, of course, Daniel, to all of us having an opportunity to, you know, to partake, you know, as, as many of these readings as we can. Yeah, yeah. I hope so. And I think, um, you know, I know Pedro came into this wanting to work on new work. And so I think he's getting more experience with that. Um, if the actors, you know, for those of them that are interested in that, um, which I think is all of them, it's, you know, it's an opportunity to work on a project where the playwrights in the room and be able to ask questions, suggest changes. We are able to have a conversation in the room about like, well, this line sucks. And I'll be like, okay, okay, I'll fix it. You know, <laughs> no one has said that exactly yet. <laughs> They're too polite. They're too nice. I'm going to say one quick thing, which is one of the important things, and Cole brought it up uh, uh, on different occasions, but one of the important things in my life as a presenter and as um, a board member with this organization has always been that you pay artists. We don't pay them much, but we pay them. And I think that one of the things that we look to in future is recognizing the value of those arts in our community and making sure that we can get them closer to their rent. Yeah. That is a huge deal for, for me personally. I think it's really important to pay artists. Um, when we did the, because we were doing the production in the spring through university, we couldn't pay our actors. Yeah. And obviously I wasn't getting paid, I was paying to do it as a student. Um, uh, so it's, in, it's incredible that actors are able to be paid, that Pedro's been able to be paid, that I've been able to be paid. Um, you know, I'm paying my rent this month with the money I'm making here, which is um, an enormous thing for, for a starting out playwright. I just kick. Yeah, yeah, I can't say enough about how incredible that experience is. It's very rare to, to not only get to do work, but then to be paid for it and to be compensated for it. Um, that's a really, just a huge gift. Yeah. And I do want to say that Catherine was also quite insistent on that. We're all, yeah, it's, it's critical. Well, it was, we were lucky that we had some funds. And again, people have stepped up and, and uh, supported this project with their own donations. And it's been wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a big part of... Even the events that we start putting together in town and things like that, that discussion is almost always brought up at the very beginning. It's not something that's figured in later on. Like, it's just mm. not going to happen if we can't find a little bit. It's, it may not be, you know, the full amount that you want, but the actors, the artists are getting paid mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Because so, their work has value. It's yes, just that, exactly. that is the critical thing is that the work of an artist has value. That's right, and uh, I'm just gonna say this from, and you've been on grant review panels, and I've been on a number of them, regionally, nationally, and, and uh, in the state, and one of the things that is always taken into consideration is, are you paying the artist? Yes. And yes. a lot of times the answer is, but they're doing something they love, which <laughs> actually, <sighs> also doesn't get you closer to the rent. <laughs> and I will also say that um, making, you know, getting paid the stipend while I'm here has also made it possible for me to uh, enjoy being here more. Um, you know, when you're back home, part of the thing that makes it hard uh, living in New York is that you have to spend most of your day working to pay your rent. Exactly. And, then, and then you go home and you're like, okay, well now I've got from seven to midnight to write. And now I finish work at five every day and I've been able to like, 
go downtown. I've gone on to the mountain the last few nights and just sat while the sunset and read my book. And um, it's, an, it's just an extraordinary experience to be able to do your work as a writer during the day um, and then be able to live your life afterwards and not have to um, have your writing come second. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do just want to shout out Daniel, though, in particular, because he has dove in. To I like, went to a Raptors game. I went to the nature sanctuary. <laughs> That's what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. No, Sweet. this is what was amazing is the second Daniel got here, he was like, wow, what are the Utah things? to, Or more specifically, what are the Ogden things to do? You know, we he had been in the state less than two hours when he went to the union station and was like, wow, this is so great. And yeah, there was the a bags ra- were still in the oh, car. That's right. Bags were, st- bags oh, were, st- his bags were still in the car. And we, we went he, to the farmer's market. Yeah. And we went to the farmer's market the next day. I took him up to the waterfall and I do want to say it was, it was really fun. Daniel was born and raised in New York city. We got to the top of the waterfall and he looked up at us and said, Oh, I guess I, I need to live in Utah now. It was just <laughs> jot, but, but, I feel like you've really had a chance to take in the culture here. Definitely. And also people um, have been so great about coming to things like the reading. We even had a few folks in rehearsal this afternoon. Catherine had us over for brunch over the weekend. And um, so getting to meet people too, it not only do I get to know more about the town, but it also informs the work in a way. Um, and so all of that is, I spent a couple of years before I went to grad school working for a playwright who did sort of documentary theater going into communities. And those productions I think are, a lot more rewarding than productions in New York where so much of the experience of going to theater is you pay an exorbitant amount of money to see a show, you have you see the show, and then you immediately drop it to go have drinks afterwards. And mm-hmm. it's like um, just sort of another pastime rather than something that gets folded into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've been here for almost two weeks. It feels like longer in a good way, but I also feel like I've gotten to know the community in a way that um, most theatrical experiences don't uh, sort of make room for yeah and a lot of uh, and a lot of uh, writers retreats don't make room for yeah because you're with other writers you're not with people outside the arts or people who have a different interest in the arts can you shout out to the cast to say their names oh yes um i i really have a great cast they've been what a wonderful cast um joseph evans who plays carver uh Legera Edmonds Allen, who plays Amanda. Uh, we have Lindsay Harding, who plays um, Marielle. <laughs> Sorry, we we literally just came from a from a full run of this show, but somehow they're gone. And then uh, Jan Hamer, who plays Jane. Uh, they're all they're they're it's it's. I love for one thing, there is a gigantic age range in there, which I think is great. We have people who are fresh out of high school working with uh, college professors and and they've all committed. That's the thing that's amazing to me is they've all committed to this. I want to say specifically about Joe. Joe came to rehearsal and we, you know, we said, oh, it's going to be two weeks. You know, we're going to be changing the lines a lot because that's part of it. Joe came to rehearsal off book. We said, Joe, what have you been doing? He's like, I don't know, man. I just sat down and started going and hey, presto, here I am. You know, they are so committed and it's beautiful. Um, I highly recommend all of them. They're wonderful. Okay, so take us. I think you got lucky. You got a good cast here. Perfectly so far, it sounds like. Um, take us through the very first reading and then maybe some expectations or thoughts on the final reading. Hmm. Uh, okay, first reading, we 
it, it was for Jan, God bless her, her actual first reading of the script out loud because uh, she had to run down from a meeting and get here just in time. Uh, we held it here at the Argo House in their gorgeous uh, suite. No, that's I, a perfect time to talk about the Argo House too. And yeah. again, a program like this benefiting so many different uh, places and people. And this building we're of course familiar with. We podcast from here. I go to meetings here all the time. Um, a nice incubator for talent and offices and that type of thing. And so this is unique. Uh, this is the first, you know, residency, anything like this that's done in this space. Yeah, well, I, Daniel was, I think, a little surprised at how nice our rehearsal room was. Well, it's funny because we came from the airport. We parked on the street <laughs> over here. We walked you through the space here. And I think you were... Uh, Impressed. Very much so. And yes. then it was Saturday, so we did hit the market, hit the yeah. farmer's market. Yeah. but That's a perfect intro. It's nice to come in on a Saturday for many reasons, but that's oh, yeah. one of them. Yeah. Well, and the place is going to be presented in a wonderful space, a historic space. Mm. Yes, yeah. exactly. A space that the community fought long and hard to save. Uh, and this is the Ogden High School Black Box Theater. And so we're mm. very excited about linking up that wonderful space with this wonderful space and, and all the efforts that have gone into, again, I think this is the wonderful thing about theater, dance, music. These are art forms that are very communitarian. That is, they, of course, people, individuals are highlighted, but it, it does take everybody to put on a yeah. show. It really does. No, it really does. Uh, there's a good question for Diane and for Catherine, both of you, as far as choosing these locations. How did that come to be? Okay, so um, actually it was fortuitous because um, when we reestablished the Arts Council, we didn't have an office space any longer. We didn't have an address. We didn't have even a website. We're using my phone number. <laughs> That will change someday. But uh, they had a subscription here where you could have, I think it's eight and a half hours a month. Nine hours, yeah. Yeah, for $200. So for us, to be able to do board meetings here, to be able to do a reception here, that seemed like a good thing. What happened was, because we were still sort of regathering ourselves, we didn't use it. We paid the subscri subscription rate, but we didn't use the time for the first few months. And when this came together as a residency, I sat down with Lauren Argo and said- Rollover minutes? Hmm? Did you have we some said? rollover minutes? We did. So <laughs> this is it. I sat down with her, I said, could we just kind of push everything into two weeks and do it like that? And they were so accommodating and said, yeah, let's do it. This is the kind of project we want to see here. So that's how it happened. Yeah, and I do. And for the final performance, Catherine is very right. The historic Ogden High School, where I went to high school. And also, uh, not to brag, I was in the first production in the new black box after it was completed. Um, I, my, my high school years lined up just right. And... It is frankly ridiculous that our high school has a theater like that. All right. Um, so I want to say one thing, which is that 
it's a it was a, um, a WPA project. Yeah. That's that was how that high school was put together. I went to the same kind of high school in La Jolla when I grew up, and they didn't restore it. They didn't give it all of the earthquake stuff that they did here, and it did cost millions of dollars. But they put the effort and the time into it. They tore down my high school. Yeah. Oh. But that, yeah, and that so easily could have happened if it those could decisions have, No, it could have made, done. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, you know, I'm thrilled that we can have it there because it is a, it is number one, a really remarkably great theater for any place to have, let alone a high school. Um, but also it's uh, one of our selectors works there, you know, Jed Broberg, who taught me and who taught uh, actually Joe as well. He works there and he has been really wonderful and accommodating to, you know, letting us in the space, letting us see it, telling us about it and telling us, you know, its technical abilities. And it's it is a space at the heart of our community. And I think that that is an important thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's so this is and we're kind of wrapping things up just a little bit here. And this would be kind of a funny, awkward question, maybe a little bit worded at least. And so. Half of the experience obviously is between the group that we've been talking about, the director, the actors, the playwright, yourself, everybody. And then the rest of it is the community, uh, the audience, you know, that. And so the fact that this will be released after the fact, um, but while I have everybody in the room, uh, what's the best way we can experience our side of this equation as far as theater goes, as far as this event that comes in on Saturday? Um, as far as sort of submitting ourselves to in a certain way, pushing ourselves out of our comfort as a writer, what do you like to see out of an audience? I I think that's tough because I think a lot of the role of the artist is to make the audience feel comfortable and um, or uh, at ease in a way that that they can bring themselves to the performance. So I think it's a it's a big burden on the artists themselves to come to the audience. I think so much so often we. Uh, talk about how do we get audiences in, how do we bring people into the show, and I think it's really a question of how do artists uh, find people and come to people. Um, but I would just hope that anybody who wants to come and attend this show at any show is um, just willing to try anything once. And so let's let's say, for instance, and I'll let you go back to your thought there in just a second, that it's a full audience and they're engaged. Um, what would still be your like ideal? They want to be there, like their participation on on an audience side. Well, in the show itself, um, there's room for about 16 people to participate. The ones who get cast, so actually into participate, it. so in actually your case, literally to actually talk yeah. to be willing to share things. Um, I think the other thing I would say, I'm a big proponent of audiences not sort of sitting quietly with their hands folded neatly on their laps. Like audiences being vocal, audiences being. Um, engaged with the piece, participatory in it, even from a spectator standpoint. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but I think, I think we have this idea that there's so many rules about how you're supposed to experience art, and especially with theater, and I think um, just bringing your honest-to-God natural reactions to it is the best way you can be a, be a participant. I think it's important to remind people of that. I think a lot of people are uncomfortable in certain environments, and for some reason, theater sometimes is that place. So totally. I, I was a presenter for a lot of years, and I presented a lot of chamber music. And um, when I first started, I had a group called the Amelia String uh, Amelia Piano Trio, sorry, uh, and they came in, and people applauded between movements, 
And that was something that a lot of um, chamber music people, uh, performers, they don't want to hear that. They get kind of uppity about it, actually. The Amelias were like, we, we like it if they <laughs> plot it any time. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that there are two things. Uh, there's that. So there is just being present in the moment, going ahead and being part of that whole experience. There's also, my friend Shane Osgoothorpe said at one point about performance, must be present to win. Hmm. I think that's good advice across the board. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I always implore for audiences as far as participation is one simple thing. Be willing to go and be willing to try, you know, I, it might not be for you, but be willing to try something new. Any last minute thoughts? I would love to just keep this going, but I think we're kind of at a good time right now, mm-hmm. where we're not losing our audience. Uh, any last thoughts? I just want to say thank you. Um, to Diane, to Cole, to Catherine, to everyone involved in this, um, for bringing me out here. This is, it's been a once in a lifetime experience and um, I don't say that lightly, so. We're glad to have you here. We're very Thank glad you. to have you. Yeah, we yeah. got lucky. I think mm-hmm. we got lucky. Yeah. I think on that note, anything cool? Um, you know, it, it was interesting when I was younger, I was so obsessed with leaving Ogden, with saying I was going to get out and to go to New York or Chicago and, and do theater there. My closing thought is that Ogden is a great place for theater that we have a community that offers something unique and that I hope and I think and I do, do believe that programs like these will keep happening and that we can really grow the arts in Ogden and, that, uh, and make it not only a place for high adventure sports but high adventure theater and that's very exciting to me as a hometown boy. We're going to leave it at that. Well said, sir. All right, put a ball on it. That is a wrap for episode 18 of the Nine Rails Arts Podcast, produced by the Banyan Collective. Arts and adventure podcasting since 2010. Do not miss an episode of the Banyan Collective's Nine Rails Arts Podcast as we explore what it means to be an adventures creative in 2019. Hear the stories of Ogden's new Nine Rails Creative District, including those of the district's epicenter and home of artisans, designers, and creatives within the Monarch Building. Follow the Nine Rails Arts Podcast on Facebook and also on Instagram at the number nine for Nine Rails. And for more from the Banyan Collective, simply search the Banyan Collective on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. This week, we'll leave you with a little something from our van sessions as recorded live during Ogden's first Friday art stroll. This is Kendrick Zane. The social scene is not all that it seems Everybody's walking in their sleep They're running round and round But for what I just can't see Life's not all that it's cracked up to be here in the city Need to feel the country breeze through my head When I close my eyes at night I'm there 
future brings I can't tell you where I'll be But you can bet that it won't be here in the city I look back on the times that I thought about this place And hope that one day I might finally see But now I'm here, I must confess I like a happy personality One small bite from this big apple And the taste was also bitter, bitter to me Before my tear, I'm wasting all my time Got nothing to show, I haven't made a dime Brings, I can't tell you where I'll be But you can bet that it won't be Here in the city Here in the city Kendrick Zane with Tommy Hopkins on guitar.